morning. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in verse 28 this morning. Verse 28. Does anybody know what week we're on? 49? Is that we're on week 49? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. I want to read for us to help set some context here. Uh starting in verse 17 up through 28, and then we'll concentrate on verse 28 this morning. He says this, Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Like, like this was us, right? This was us. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as, it fits, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray again. Father, may your word speak truth into our hearts today, to our unbelieving hearts. May it speak truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 28, look with me there. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We live in a world where work is considered, and if I'm just making some observations here, where work is considered one of really two things. And this is both, I think, inside the church, amongst God's people, and outside. One, that work is considered a place of fulfillment and satisfaction. The mindset is, I'm only as valuable as I am successful. And my value, my satisfaction, my fulfillment, my worth is tied up, wrapped up with the place that I work. You see this very particularly among men. You get together and what's the, the topic of conversation? It's not how needy are you in the Lord and how desperate are you for His truth, and how gracious has God been to you lately? It's, what do you do? What's your work? What's your career? What do you do with your hands all week, or at least attempt to do? But I'm always valuable as I'm successful. Always on to the next biggest achievement, whether that's promotion or more education. But first of all, a, a place of fulfillment, satisfaction, the other way that work is largely viewed, both, again, amongst God's people and amongst those who are not, is a necessary evil, a means to an end. That work is, a, is, a, is just my opportunity to get to something else. How about this? Let's just get to the weekend. How many of us 
on Monday are already thinking about Friday. What do you think? On Monday, yeah, raise your hands. You're already thinking about Friday. Good, this sermon's for you. Amongst, as well as those who are overachievers in their jobs, as you would probably refer to them. Thinking about Monday. How, how about uh, a job is just the means to buy the big house, or to get the, the new car, or the next toy. Or, for me, the next great meal, you know. Uh, the next great restaurant to go try. Oh, but if you're spiritual, if you're a, a mature Christian, you... Your job is just, your work is just a necessary means of provision for my family. And I want to even challenge you. I think this text challenges even your mindset today. Paul is continuing to paint this picture of what it means to put off and put on. How we live in light of this reality. We talked about how, how this putting off and putting on is first an in an indicative before it's an imperative. It is first something true and a reality that God has done. He has put off our old man and put on our new man in Christ. That that's first a reality of something in the past that he's done through the work of his son Jesus in the life of his people. But then now we live in light of that and practically daily as we struggle with sin are putting off and putting on and living in light of this reality that God has already done. So here he's giving us another illustration of the change from the old way of life to the new way of life. And that is this. Believers working hard so that they will have something to share with those in need. Now again, remember, this is in the context of church unity. Like, what does it look in this new life of those who have put off and put on to daily practically put off and put on and live together as the people of God? And he says working hard so that they will have something to share with those in need. This verse is not primarily about not stealing. But primarily about working well for the right reasons. Okay, So we tend to go at this text going, Well, I shouldn't steal. I need to have a job. But Paul, if we, again, try to build a little bit of context here, Paul probably has in mind, at this point, kind of day laborers, skilled tradesmen, and particularly in this context, probably those who had jobs that were very seasonal. That stealing for them had become kind of a way of life. That they would have money and have means of providing for their family for different seasons of the year. And then when those seasons fell dry or fell hard, then they would they made a practice of stealing. And what he's telling them is you're to do this no longer. Now the reality is that even for many of us, without seasonal jobs... Stealing has become a regular way of life just the same. And what I want to do is want to help open our minds to seeing something maybe in a little bit of a different light. The problem, I think, for many of us when we approach this text is that we limit stealing to a handful of easy things to avoid. When we think of stealing, we think of, well, I just need to make sure I pay my taxes. Or I need to you know, make sure I, here's one, I recognize when the cashier misses something in my cart or on the belt. That as long as I do that, that makes me not a thief. But if you're super righteous, you'll avoid burning CDs and copying movies. Right? You know, because it's a harmful crime. But I want to propose... That we all struggle with stealing and honest work in some fashion or another. The first thought I want us to consider here in this passage, in this verse, is that stealing is born out of selfishness. Stealing is born out of selfishness. Look at verse 28. First part, it says, let 
the thief no longer steal. He says, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So look at the juxtaposition here. On one side you have do not steal. On the other side you have this sharing with anyone in need. So this idea of it's not taking for yourself, but it's actually earning so that you can give. So it's the, the, the selfishness piece. You need to see this thread through this whole verse. But stealing, I think he is pointing out to us, is rooted in selfishness, that only I matter. Again, we might even be a little spiritual here and say, well, only my family matters, because we'll use our family as a means to justify our stealing. Well, it's for provision for my family. So what is meant by stealing? Let's talk about this stealing. What is meant by this stealing? Making, here we go, making something yours which is not yours to have. Making something yours that is not yours to have. At the very least, we steal glory often. Something that's not ours to have. Or it's also a a failure to pay that which is due for the item that you have acquired. It may not be tangible, but a failure to pay. At its very core, stealing is this, a misuse of one particularly great resource, our hands. Stealing, at its very core, is a misuse of the resource of our hands. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, stealing is the desire to have without effort. It's the desire to have without effort. I think selfishness is at the root of stealing. Only you are looking out for yourself. We look out only for ourselves. We don't trust God to provide. Stealing says, I alone matter. Just me. Again, maybe it's just my family. Stealing is also based upon the premise that you are entitled to have that which you want. To say it another way, it's based upon the premise that you're entitled to have anything that you like. It's a lack of respect for others. I alone matter. No one or nothing else matters couple more big thoughts about stealing here. Stealing is also rooted, to put more of an emphasis on this, I kind of mentioned this already, but stealing is rooted in a lack of trusting God. I think what was part of what's going on here is this struggling to trust God to provide during these seasonal times. So a lot of times we, we want to steal or take because we don't trust God to provide. It could also be that we're trying to get something that God maybe doesn't even want us to have. Stealing says, God is not good in keeping this from me. I must get it for myself. Stealing says, God's way of acquiring that which I want cannot be trusted. And this is what Paul is going after in this text. Is that God's way is the way. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Another kind of big thought about this is that stealing is doing anything other than honest work. Again, see the juxtaposition here. Don't steal. Labor and honest work. Most often, when we start talking about sin... We like to kind of define sin and just kind of look at the sin and go, okay, well, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. And we kind of look at it on its own. I think what happens is we oftentimes, we start to define a sin, we pick out a few things that look like that sin, and then we just kind of avoid those. That's pretty easy to do. Like I gave the example before, I make sure I pay my taxes, and I'm honest when the cashier misses something, and you know, I don't try to sneak anything by them. You know, you got to make sure everything's off the bottom of the cart, you know. 
But I think what's more helpful, what's more biblical, is for us to measure up what we do against what God is saying is ultimately good. In this case, what is ultimately good is honest work. Work that is pleasing to the Lord. Good, quality, honorable work. And anything less than good, quality, honorable work puts it in the category of stealing. But you think about that. Whether you are stay-at-home, mom, dad, taking care of the kid, whatever's going on, or you are working in a workplace, good, quality, honorable work. Guys, I think ultimately... Stealing is taking things for ourselves by any means other than honest work. And Paul is saying that we are to put off and to put on. We're to put off dishonest work gained by dishonest ways and to put on the gaining by the means of honest work. So what does, again, what does our stealing look like? We have to make sure that we're defining this rightly. Taking something for our benefit that's not ours to have, or taking it by means of something other than honest work. Some, maybe some practical ways we steal. Thinking in terms of how we, how we actually work when we're in the workplace, whether that's at home or Underneath a different boss who signs a paycheck. There's ways we can, we can work in such a way that we're not actually working in a way that honors God. Listen, your boss's approval of the quality of your work uh, is not irrelevant. But it certainly doesn't matter to the extent to which God's approval of the quality of your work. Other ways that we can easily be thieves is in income taxes and dealing with the government, right? Because they don't need it. They're going to spend it wrongly anyways. I'm being facetious. How about not tithing? Like, I mean, Bible talks about thievery in this way. But again, I want to put us just a little bit deeper than just kind of practical ways that we can look at stealing. And I want us to think anything short of honest work for gain is likely going to be in this stealing category. And the last thought I want to draw our attention to is, again, the context. What's he talking about? This new life in Christ that is supposed to bring people together, supposed to unite them. So think about how the outlook of the thief makes fellowship and unity impossible. What's driving the thief? Selfishness. Dishonor. This, this mentality that it's mine for the taking. That I have a right to have it. Now think about how that impacts unity. Obviously negatively, it's going to impact unity. Think about that. When we're being told that this put off, this put on, is so that we can uh, we do this and work hard so that we can give, as opposed to what he's saying here is that this thief is going to take for himself. Guys, the misuse of your hands for your own benefit makes unity in the body impossible. I mean, just think about Paul's other metaphors. For the hands and for the body, right? That we need the hand and we need the foot. And we need, what, what good is the foot though that wants to do his own plan? Who wants to use life and the body and resources in a way for his own good? He's not serving the rest of the body. And what if you were walking around and your foot and you just wanted to walk that way and the rest of your body wanted to go this way, right? If it wanted to serve itself, if, if your one foot wanted to sit and soak in a salt bath and the rest of your body needed to get some work done, that wouldn't be helpful. And he's saying that hands, that, that, that we as people 
when we have the mindset of a thief, we're going to negatively impact this idea of unity in the body. So here's what happens. When I think when, when most of us read this passage, we look at it and we go this. Okay, it says don't steal. So I don't do things that would put me in jail. So I'm safe. Then I have a job and make some money and I give to the church even and every once in a while the poor. So I'm set to go. We just walk away from the passage going, all right. I've applied this passage to my life. I'm set. And I think, though, that we're missing the glory of this verse. So instead of asking what is stealing, let's ask the question, what does labor in honest work look like? What does laboring in honest work look like? Then let's say that anything less than that, done for any gain, is going to be in the category of stealing. So the first thing I want to encourage us to see here is see the need for laboring in honest work. See the need for laboring in honest work. This is a need for honest for laboring in honest work. Again, back to the back to the verse. 28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now when Paul says work, uh, here, I, I know for many of us in this room, this is going to be a little new for you as we think about this, but I want to push in on this point. When Paul says work, what he means is laboring to the point of weariness, laboring to the point of weariness. Now you're going, oh, that doesn't sound real joyful. Oh, that doesn't sound real gracious. Paul said it. Understand that anything short of laboring to the point of weariness is a denial of man's state before God as a result of the fall. I'm going to talk about that a little more in depthly here in the next few moments. Understand that anything short of laboring to the point of, of weariness is actually a denial of humankind's state before God as a result of the fall. Now sure, we have been set free from sin and the ultimate punishment of the fall. Okay? hell and and all that we've been set free from that if you're in Christ but we still live here and now in the reality of the fall let me remind you of Genesis chapter 3 17 through 19 and to Adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you you shall not eat of it Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Listen. When we are redeemed in Christ, when, when we are, our sin becomes washed in the blood of Jesus, that does not set us apart from the effects of this reality. Sure, the ultimate curse, the ultimate uh, condemnation, the ultimate payment and punishment for our sin is wiped away from Christ. But just like in this world, we still succumb sometimes to physical ailments and to other brokenness. Those are all effects of the fall. We are still in the context where work is something that God has ordained because of the fall to be hard. And we are to work to weariness. That, that Here's the deal. When we try to work in a way that is not to the point of weariness, we are denying the reality of the effects of the fall. 
We're saying to God, what happened in the garden, I can avoid that. That, that, doesn't, that didn't happen. It's the same thing with clothing. We don't just wear clothes because we don't want to look at each other naked. Like when we try to go naked, I mean, that's probably a good thing. I mean, that is at least one of my, one of my reasons, right? That we wear clothes. Uh, at least I wear clothes. Uh, and my family wears clothes. But what we do when, we, when people try to promote this nakedness stuff, is what we're doing is we're, they're denying the effects of the fall. That's, that's a good thing for us to embrace. Same thing with weariness in working. We, see, we want to avoid anything that feels like hard because here's what, everything is good and gracious and God's given us everything in Jesus. And we translate that into, that means I need to have a life of ease and, and nothing but bliss. That work should be easy and, and all this crazy joyful and I should just be whistling on my way to work and while I'm at work and I should whistle on my way home. And that's what it means to be a believer in Jesus and to know the gospel and no, part of knowing the gospel is part of knowing what happened in Genesis. So that when we work, guys, listen, when we work each and every day to the point of weariness, what are we reminded of? We're reminded of what happened in the first Adam, and we're reminded of how much better it is to be in the second Adam. Daily, I mean, this is a daily thing God has given to all of us, men and women, as a wonderful reminder That we toil to the point of weariness because the effects of the first Adam and our own sin are still here. And then our rest in the second Adam is so much more tasteful and delightful. Because when we try to work in ways less than to the point of weariness, we are denying the effects of the fall and God's curse. Because there is dignity of work. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. This is, this is dignity. There's dignity in toiling. There's dignity in producing something. We should enjoy the work. As the thief is to labor by doing something useful with his hands. Now, here's what I want to be careful. I don't think the language is suggesting that only manual labor is acceptable for a Christian. Rather, working with one's hands, I think, is emphasizing hard work for gain as opposed to that which is obtained by theft, by something short of hard work. You know, Paul talks to, in other places about this idea of work. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10-12. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, I wish I could exposit that verse. Uh, we don't have time. But we live in this culture that despises work, that wants to run from work. Work is simply a means to get money so that we can indulge ourselves. Again, many of us get to work on Monday and begin the first hour dreaming of what Friday might bring. We're missing the point. Let me give you a couple, based upon this, what we've talked about so far, some misconceptions of work. Some misconceptions of work. Busyness equals godliness. It's not Paul's point. Paul's talking about laboring and honest work. We confuse busyness sometimes with honest work. We should be careful here. Busyness is not equal to godliness. We should be steadily faithful in what he's called us to do. Another misconception of work is that retirement is a thing in God's kingdom. There's, there's, retirement is not a thing in God's kingdom. It's a thing in the world's kingdom. It is, I worked all these years so that I can go do whatever I want. That's not a thing in God's kingdom. 
You should be working each and every day to the point of weariness. Even in the age of retirement. Now, now listen, I, I don't want to caveat this a thousand times. I'm not going to, but I'll give a couple. I'm not saying that you shouldn't save, and then eventually when the time is right, 65 or whatever the age is, maybe by the time I get there it'll be like 85, uh, that you can retire. I'm not saying that your paycheck ceasing to come from 40 hours a week is a wrong thing. I'm not saying that, that you can't at some point begin to uh, spend your time in a different way. The point is, is that this mentality that I can work all these years and then spend my time however I want to. Look, Jesus owns the time that you're in your 40-hour-a-week job, and he owns the time that you're in your retirement age. It's just your work's going to look a little bit different. You might not be able to do as much physically with your hands as you once could. That's not the point. The point is that you are, that you are consistently working to the glory of God. Retirement's not a thing in God's kingdom. You're always His worker. No matter where your physical paycheck comes from. Alright, enough on that one. Another misconception is that I can just do enough to get by. I've already mentioned that just a little bit. I wanted to make it emphatic. I can do just enough to get by. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about working. And working to this point of weariness. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you a couple like kind of broad examples here. Broad examples of how we kind of skirt the call to labor and honest work. So we're going to talk about honest work. I want to give you a couple examples of what would not be honest work. Okay? Follow me? What would not be honest work? Two main ones. <clears throat> I was really served well. If you've not read the book The Gospel at Work by by uh, Greg Gilbert and Sebastian, I forget his, um, that's, was it? Traeger? Traeger, okay. If you've not read that book, super helpful book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a handful of their thoughts here. Two of the ways that we, that we kind of skirt the idea of honest work. Again, think with me here, you'll be careful, that we don't just apply this to people who get paychecks, right? This is whether you get, whether you get a paycheck from someone that comes from some bank or you're at home caring for the kids, right? And anything in between. We abandon labor, laboring and honest work when we idolize the work. Okay? We're abandoning honest work when we idolize the work. Let's talk through that. This is kind of taking us back to the very beginning. Many of us pursue joy, satisfaction, and meaning in what we do. So whether you work in a department store, you supervise a thousand people, or manage the household. Like what Greg Gilbert says, our jobs become idols when we over-identify with them. So we're getting away from honest work at this point. We over-identify with them. It becomes the primary means for measuring our happiness and our dissatisfaction. Do you hear me? Whether you stay at home with the kids or you deal with a bunch of goons in the workplace, wherever your goons are at and you work with them, right? That when that becomes the primary means for measuring our happiness and dissatisfaction, this is a misuse of the fundamental resource given by God, our hands. Our honest work is probably venturing into the world of sin when this happens. Let me give you some practical good questions. These will be good things for house gathering to think through, so I'm not going to linger here. But is your work your primary source of satisfaction? Like, do you find your satisfaction rising and falling with your work? Maybe that you're never satisfied, but that you look to your job for it. So I mean, it's where you to be careful. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you're not satisfied. So don't think of it just, oh, I'm struggling with that if I'm always satisfied in my job. No, it could be dissatisfaction because of your work. It could be that you are super satisfied. But where is that based at? Does your mood radically shift based upon the circumstances at your job? Does it go up and down? 
because of what's going on at your workplace, then you probably are idolizing your work. You're over-identifying with your work. Number two, maybe another question is, is your work all about being the best so that you can make a name for yourself? I think these questions by Greg and Sebastian are, are excellent. Is it truly possible to place, uh, it is rather, truly possible to place an undue emphasis on the pursuit of excellence? You realize that? Like we could be so perfectionistic that it's just a fruit of our idolatry and we are venturing away from what Paul is talking about here as honest work, laboring and doing honest work. I mean, we, we like as Christians to promote doing excellent work, and that is certainly something that we should. But has it ventured into something of an unrelenting perfectionism? That's the danger. Three, is your work primarily about making a difference in the world? Sure, making a difference is a wonderful thing, but if we're not careful... We can begin to take pride as we credit ourselves with accomplishments of our work instead of seeing the success as a gift from God. I mean, particularly if you're in any kind of service, like any kind of uh, nursing care and things like that, it's really easy to, to begin to, to, to think of that job as, as your opportunity of glorying for yourself. Or number four, is there always something more to obtain? When you think about your workplace, is there always something more that you're trying to go after? You could be that you idolize your job and have ventured away from laboring in honest work. Now I'm going to go to the opposite extreme. We also try to skirt laboring in honest work when we abandon Laboring honest work by idling in our work. So we talk about idolizing our work. How about being idle in our work? I would say, I would say a good bit of us are going to fit in this category and a good bit of us are going to fit in the next category. So we abandon labor and honest work when we idle in it. So here's the deal. If some of us over-identify with our work. Some of us under-identify with our work. Over-identify, under-identify with honest work. We care, these, people in this category care too little about work and find themselves being idle in it. Now let's talk about this. For some of this, this means inactivity of hands. Inactivity. For some of us, this means laziness. For some, it's TV. For some, it's internet research. For some, it's staring at the wall. So for some, this is inactivity of hands. For some, this is inactivity of the heart. That's where we got, again, that's where we're going to push in a little bit more. What is this? Laboring with honest work. Laboring in honest work. We're idle in our work if we have inactivity of the heart. Again, for some of us, this doesn't mean a lack of productivity. You could be the most productive person in the world. But it can be an inability or an unwillingness to see or embrace God's purposes in the work He's given you to do. Whether that's at the home or that's at a place where someone else signs your paycheck. That you've become idle in the work. You are skirting, laboring, and honest work. If you have this inability or unwillingness to embrace God's purposes for the work He has given you. This is someone who doesn't realize that their job is for more than a paycheck, but it is indeed God's grace to you. Listen, whether it's you working 
at a job place or you care for the kids at home. He is using this job for more than just the sanctification of your kids. He's using this job for more than just provision for your family. He's using this job to mold and form you into the image of His Son, Jesus. Some good questions to ask about am I idle in my work? First one is this, is your work merely a means to an end, a place to serve your own needs? I work so I can pay my bills and go play. Number two, you, you might be idle in your work. If you ask this question, does your work totally frustrate you? <laughs> Number three, has your work, this is so key, it's such a good question. Has your work become divorced from your Christian discipleship? Has your work become divorced from your Christian discipleship? So you kind of have these two areas. I might idolize my work, and I might be idle in my work. So moving beyond that, now stealing is to be replaced with hard, honest work. Guys, the ingenuity, I mean, think about it. The ingenuity and effort devoted to being a thief should now be given to honest labor. The energy spent on gaining in ways that dishonor God. I mean, think about how we, how we try, to, try to manipulate our work so that like, you know, I can do enough to just to get by for the day, I can, so I can get on to something else. Think about the, the, the manipulation that we do even in our own minds so that we can just kind of get through to Friday. And just kind of coast through the work week and do just enough to get done. But he said, all that effort given to that needs to be given to doing honest labor. Think about Paul. Paul supported his work making tents. Paul exhorted his congregations to work with their hands. Proverbs 28, 19 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. I want you to see the need for laboring in honest work. The second thing I want you to see is the goodness of work because of the gospel of grace. See the goodness of work because of the gospel of grace. So he says, let no thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So I, I want to kind of wrap this back into first and second and third Ephesians. Now the first and second and third chapters of Ephesians. We talk about this gospel of grace. We were created to work, right? Work is even a gift from God. But I want you to see that the work of Christ impacts the way we work. The work of Christ should impact the way we work. We must connect the reality of what God has done for us in Christ to our jobs, to this honest work. This is what's going on in the back of Paul's mind as he's thinking about this honest work is all that Christ has done in first, second, and third chapters of Ephesians. Again, I, I, uh, the book, the gospel works super helpful in thinking through some of this. So think about idolatry. So think about idolatry. Idolatry of work. Instead of laboring in honest work, faithfully unto the Lord. Because Jesus' work really does finally and fully secure our place before the Father in Him. Jesus' work accomplished the task. He gives this as a gift to us. We could not earn it. We could not work for it. You know what this means? It means that our jobs, our honest work that we are laboring in cannot ever give us what we truly want and only can find in Jesus Christ. 
that by his life, death, and resurrection, he has already achieved for us the highest joy, the highest meaning, the highest significance, and the highest price. Why would we ever look in our jobs for that? When he has secured it by his work. When we search for these things in our jobs, we forget the gospel and we believe a lie. Because this means that you don't have to bend and manipulate and worship your job so as to bring you satisfaction. This means that when you come home, that you can love your family instead of emotionally controlled by your work. This means that while at work, you can enjoy the labor as a glory to God instead of an item to get you to the next level. Let's think about idleness. Does it look to be idle in our jobs, in, in our working and laboring and honest work? Guys, if it's true that our lives now belong to Jesus, listen, then everything in our lives has new significance. Even our jobs has new significance. It includes our lives, it includes our jobs. Whether that's at home, the kids, at work, whatever it is, it has significance. Idleness is not an option for those who believe the gospel. This means, even as most of us look on toward retirement, that he owns that time as well. Like what one Dutch theologian said, and Greg Gilbert quoted, he says, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. Idleness is not an option for a Christian. This means that your job has value even if you don't enjoy particular aspects of it. Let me read to you a quote from, from Greg. He says this, You are free not to make your work into an idol, but to make it an arena for loving God and loving others. You're free from the trap of idleness, from growing frustrated and bitter in the difficulties of drudgery your job brings. Your happiness is secured elsewhere. You don't have to be discouraged that your job isn't providing it. Instead, you can approach your job, even if you don't like it, as an opportunity to love God more and bring Him glory. You see, our problem is we just go to work for a paycheck, or we just go to work for the sanctification of our kids. Sure, money is important, and caring for our kids is important. Instead, we should go to work to love God more and love people more. And I want to make very emphatic here, This laboring in our work, this laboring in honest work is just as much a part of our discipleship as anything we do in the churches. We so easily divorce our workplace from our discipleship in the Lord. Our work is not something we do in addition to our growth as a follower of Christ. Our work here and now is an expression of our Christian faith and an arena of in which God disciples our hearts and our minds. Because you can go to work with purpose. Why? Because the purpose is way more than a paycheck, way more than even just our kids' sanctification and their growth. We go because it's an arena in which God is discipling us. Again, this is just putting off and putting on. This is the people of God doing honest work with our own hands. The last thing I want you to see is that we work that we might all share in the gospel. We work that we might all share in the gospel. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. And we, we talked about some potential pitfalls there of what this 
honest work should look like. And then he says this, what's the, why do we do this? Why do we do this? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Listen, if you're in your job, doing it for idolatrous reasons, you're not going to have anything to share when it's all done. If you're in your job and you're idle in it, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is sharing with it out of what you make. But instead, he says that the work, like the work that is in view here, denotes like this benefit to others. That this honest work is not in a vacuum. It's not sitting on its own and that we just need to do honest work. But this honest work is for a reason. It's so that we would then have, that we could obtain, we can gain, so then we can have something to share with anyone in need. What do we think, right? I gain so that I can have more. I work so that I can have more. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're to do good to them. And that's what Paul's talking about here, having something so that we can do good to those, particularly to, to, particularly to those of the household of faith. But I do think that that we shouldn't pigeonhole this verse 28 to, to say just those in the family of faith, but certainly an emphasis of those in the family of faith. I don't think Paul's going to say, you know, when you see some, a poor guy on the side of the street or a homeless person or, or, or uh, a child without a home, that no, I, I needed to save my money for those in my church. I don't, I don't think Paul's going like, to get reprimanded for that. I do think the emphasis is, is in the context of the community of faith. But let's not use it as an excuse. I think very practically, he says, gain more so that you can give more. Have and do it by honest labor so that you can give more. Because we've been described in chapter 2, workmanship created in present context, working hard with one's hands is viewed as doing what is good. And points to the means with one's hands that is viewed as doing what is good and points to the means of sharing with the needy. Guys, the thrust here in this last part of this verse is generosity. Generosity. That's why the steep of what Paul's talking about here. A channel is practiced by a former thief. It's practiced hands in total contrast. And giving to those who in need is practiced by a former thief. It stands in total contrast to his previous course of life. It stands in total contrast to his previous course of life. We all used to be thieves to his previous course of life. We all used to be thieves. We all used to be thieves and when we gain so we can give it stands in contrast again it's putting off putting on working instead of stealing is actually sharing Christ with our neighbor working so that we can share is very practically a way we share Christ like what John Wesley said, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. Listen, church, this is, this is something that I can grow in tremendously. Giving as much as I can. Gaining so that I can give. Is not only did Christ not steal, but Christ gave up his riches. You see that in the gospel? Not only did Christ not steal, but he gave up his riches. He didn't even hold on to what to that which was rightfully his. He gave it all up. Philippians 2 talks about how he gave it all up and became poor 
that he might earn the salvation that we never could. And long before his work as a redeemer, he labored in honest work as a carpenter. Listen, he might have swung a couple times and missed a nail, but he never worked for the wrong reasons. His perfection was not that swing and hit perfectly every time. I think some of us have that kind of perception that Jesus, you know, never tripped. I mean, he might have physically tripped. That doesn't make him a sinner. But swinging the hammer for the wrong reason could have made him a sinner. He never did that. And then he goes for us, for his ultimate work, and dies for us. You see, when, when Jesus talks about whatever we do unto the least of these, we've done unto him. Guys, when we, when we work in a way that reflects the gospel in our lives, meaning that we're not idolizing our work, and we're not idle in our work, but we're doing honest work for the glory of Christ, for the glory of God, and we live in that way, like, that's, that, that's crazy for us to be able to do that. You understand that, right? Like, we want to work for our glory, or we want to get by with idleness for our glory, for our gain. That's our natural proclivity, is a natural proneness is to do that. But when God sets us free from that, and we're able to now live and work in a way that brings honor to Him, and then share that selflessly, the picture of the gospel and the reality of the gospel then that's experienced among the people of God is incredible. It's something that we should all long to not miss out on. I want to read to you in closing this quote by um, Pastor Brian Chapel. He says this. <clears throat> Talking about how we partake in the good of the gospel when we work faithfully with the right heart. He says this. For the fact of the matter is that if I am not Christ to my neighbor, I mean, he's talking about this like sharing in our gain with others, that if I am not Christ to my neighbor, Christ has little reality to me either. Thus, selfless sharing is grace to my own soul and that it makes Christ more real and understandable to my own heart. Obedience does not earn Christ's presence, but in our obedience, Christ presents Himself to us. His love, His sacrifice, and His grace become the air we breathe, the context of our thought, and the world in which we live. No longer is He a theological abstraction, but He is our life. He is our life. No longer is he just kind of this thing up there that we think about every once in a while. As we share with those in need, we're living out the gospel that has set us free from our selfishness and from our taking that which is not ours and from our idolatry of work and our idleness in work. It sets us free from that to share, to gain, to gain lots so that we can share lots. That Christ becomes a greater reality to us. As, as grace becomes the air we breathe in the context of our thought and the world in which we live. And he is our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we prepare this morning to remember the work of your Son, Jesus. As we pre prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper and remember the goodness, the sweetness, the faithfulness of the work of our Savior. Father, may it be an encouragement to us to both think about in our work how we should repent. And 
the how we should think about our work in such a way that we can embrace it. As we look not to a set of rules and how we should live and work, but we look to a person. And that because of His work, He has set us free to be people who labor for the right reasons, doing honest need, gaining so that we can share with those who are in need. I pray that you would do this in us as we remember the work of your son Jesus. Father, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.